Welcome to the MHI Cast, the show where we talk to the industry's best minds to uncover their supply chain stories. We explore real-world case studies and get unique perspectives on key trends and emerging technologies from every corner of the material handling, logistics, and supply chain space. Businesses are increasingly adopting environmentally conscious practices to be more sustainable. This trend is driven by several factors, such as the desire to reduce environmental impact, gaining a competitive edge, meeting regulations, and attracting eco-conscious customers. This trend is driven by several factors, such as the desire to reduce environmental impact, gain a competitive edge, meet regulations, and attract eco-conscious customers. With supply chains typically responsible for over 80% of a company's greenhouse gas emissions, this topic is particularly important for our industry. Although progress is slower than most would hope for, it's encouraging to see more and more businesses taking solid steps toward a more sustainable future. Joining us today are James Lee, Sustainability Lead in Procurement at Moderna, Neka Colas, Sustainability Director at Ovation in Store, and Theodora R. Yacobelis, Marketing Analyst at Silgan Closures. Thanks everyone for joining us today. Our first question is, could you share some specific sustainability initiatives or practices your companies have adopted within your supply chain? James, please go first. So at Moderna in procurement, we're looking at a couple different things in terms of just trying to create like a systematic and robust strategy around sustainability. And I think at the foundation, it starts with our third party code of conduct. So we made sure it includes everything that we really care about um, in terms of sustainability and ESG within our supply chain. And so um, really ensuring that our suppliers are compliant with that, understand it, know it, and are actively adhering to that. And as a matter of due diligence, we also utilize EcoVadis as well as um, PSCI audits, which is like an industry ESG audit. And from there, we're able to look at and take a deeper dive into different topic areas, um, one of them being scope three, which is all about carbon emissions, um, a big, heavy topic right now. And right now, we're really focused on calculating and setting our target and starting to build out a strategy for abatement. So with that, we're going to be looking at what are the different levers for really reducing our carbon emissions? What does that look like? And how are we going to implement those strategies? And we're also looking at other environmental topics around <clears throat> health and safety, water, waste, but still in kind of the embryonic stages of those areas. That's great. Neka. What is Ovation in store doing when it comes to sustainability? So we are calculating our scope one, two, and three emissions, and we are working with Guidehouse um, to do that. And so we're also in the space of getting our EcoVadis rating, so we do that yearly. And we are UN Global Compact members, and we also uh, submit to the CDP annually. So that's more on our climate um, action our goals. Um, and then outside of that, we do have some solidarity programs that we're working on and circular programs. So that is circular recycling. So we build displays at Ovation in-store and we use a lot of plastics. Um, and so that's the plastics back into our manufacturing facility, working with the recycler and getting that back on the floor and working with molders and redesigning or re reimagining a wall. Um, so I think those are the most uh, important initiatives that we're working on. Interesting. Circular is such an important step in the path to a sustainable ecosystem. Theodora, how are things done at Silgan Closures? We're a bottle cap manufacturer, 
And when we talk about sustainability at Sogan Closures, we like to break it into three different parts, our sustainable products, our sustainable operations, and our sustainable communities. So when we talk about our sustainable um, operations, we follow an ESG model. And in our ESG model, we have um, all of our sustainable initiatives. So a lot of those encompass that we want to focus on renewable energy, saving our emissions, and um, getting to net zero by 2050. Thanks, Theodora. James, back to you. How is your organization actively collaborating with suppliers down the supply chain to address the shared emissions and sustainability goals? I think climate's the biggest one. I think everyone understands that this is one of the most pressing issues for our whole entire earth and that everyone has a part to play. And I think that's become really critical in corporate companies understanding we have a huge impact, we've got to do something about it, and it takes a whole village to make it happen. So, you know, at Moderna, we understand our emissions, mainly, the majority is mainly in scope three, which is our value chain. And when we're talking about our scope three, our emissions are our suppliers' emissions as well. So there's this Venn diagram where we can't really say, this is our piece of the pie, this is your piece of the pie. We have to say, hey, we've got this together. We have to take ownership together. And I think that's a really amazing thing that's happened in the industry where everyone's starting to realize we share these emissions. We can't just um, you know, cascade it down the chain and expect other people to take ownership. We all have to kind of collaborate together and partner together. So that's been what I've seen in the industry as well as in Moderna, just the most pressing, important issue where we're all understanding we have these goals for near-term 2030 and these uh, later-term 2050 goals, and everyone has to align to that 1.5 degrees Celsius, or we're just not going to get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're seeing more supplier engagement managers being hired to work specifically on this and facilitate partnerships with key suppliers to define and execute net zero. NECA, looking more to the S or social in ESG, could you share a practical example of how your organization is promoting equity and social sustainability within the supply chain, especially in communities outside the U.S.? I think in terms of the supply chain, um, when you're looking at the social aspect, definitely fair wages, but also equity. So providing resources to communities that you're underserved, communities that you're working with. I mean, oftentimes it is a community that's outside of the U.S., depending on what industry you're in. So um, being conscious of that community and um, can you provide them education or additional education, additional training, um, things outside of work and possibly reproductive services or education or when it comes to gender equality. Um, I think that's something that many uh, companies, organizations have missed, and that's not really their focus. But um, as a UN Global Compact member, that is something that they're really focused on. And I would say just in reference to the UN SDGs, that is something that um, we use at uh, Ovation in-store. So there's a few different, I have the pin here. There's a few different initiatives that we're focused on. Um, but in terms of the environment, it is that um, not reaching that 1.5 um, degrees Celsius or going above that by a 20 or 30. So having your SBTI together, so your science-based targets, setting a target for that 2030, and that's specific to climate change and environmental sustainability. And then also, I think most importantly, being conscious of the effects of environmental degradation, and that usually impacts disadvantaged communities of color. So I think that's extremely important. So that's something that I work on in research that I do even at the school and at Ovation. Well, best of luck with that important initiative. Theodora, you mentioned that Silgan is planning to transition to renewable energy. How do you plan on doing that? 
the key issues that we have to address in our supply chain issue are going to be renewable energy and saving energy. So how we focus on that right now today is that we have signed up with the PPAs and we are targeting to get 75% renewable energy, and which will get us to 100% of our target by 2024. Wow, that is amazing. And such a huge step in reducing your greenhouse gas emissions. James, speaking of emissions, given the challenges in calculating scope three and establishing precise metrics, can you share any innovative or effective strategies your organization is exploring to improve the accuracy and comprehensiveness of sustainability metrics and process assessment? I think it's really difficult, especially when we're talking about climate. I think the other topic areas are more set in stone of, in terms of what you really want to measure and how, how you're going to measure it. With climate and carbon emissions, that becomes really difficult. Scope one, scope two, quite simple. A lot of people are starting to share their utilities information, their fleet information and data around those type of things. But scope three, it just varies so much by company and the robustness of primary data is just not there. And so um, there's a lot of estimates. Everyone's using emission factors and industry averages and things like that. And there's a couple of different methodologies out there, but it's not where it needs to be. And I think everyone understands that. And so, you know, what I look at is what kind of groups of activities is an organization doing? So the first is, have you calculated scope one and two? Have you calculated scope three? Because that's a big piece of work and it really tells you how an organization's performing, whether they've done those calculations or not. And then what goals do you have in place? What kind of goals are they? You know, is it an absolute or intensity goal? Is it is it a complete goal around your whole scope one, two, and three, or is it a partial goal? And there's just, I think those are the kinds of metrics that we're using right now. We're not at the place where, you know, we're starting to get to the place where we're saying, hey, do you have a footprint calculation, you know, product footprint calculation or an LCA done on that specific thing that we source from that organization? But we recognize as well, that's that can get really expensive really fast depending on how many SKUs a company has and how many SKUs they're producing for an organization. And supplier companies might work across many different industries, across a lot of different types of products so or services. And so it can get really complex and expensive um, really fast. So... You know, I, re I really just try to look at, are you calculating? Do you have targets in place? Do you have an abatement strategy? What is that strategy and how are you really understanding progress against that strategy? And are you annually realizing that there's a need for improvement? And as we're all trying to improve, we're gonna get there, but we just don't have that today. I think it's important that suppliers start asking themselves these questions so they can help their customers not only measure emissions, but meet reduction targets. Neka, can you share some insights on the tools and methods your organization uses to track and manage emissions? So I started using Excel sheets because that's most accurate, but I do use Energy Star, so they have a portfolio manager and that connects to your Con Edison. We're in New York City, so it's Con Ed, it's your national grid, it's your DEP for water, and so we have uh, real metrics, they're um, accurate, and that's what we're sharing with EcoVadis. So EcoVadis will directly pull that from um, our Energy Star portfolio manager, and then we have an ARC score route, and that is we're going for lead certification. So they're pulling the same data and they're giving us a score um, prior to even going for certification. So that is how I'm tracking our one, scope one, two, and three emissions. Um, and then alongside Guidehouse, I think they have also been extremely helpful because I'm taking the trainings with them and we've received our certification for the scope one, two, and three. So there's so many different ways that I'm doing it, but most accurate I would say is Excel, Excel sheets 
pulling bills, reading, looking at our kilowatt hours, and then looking at EPA's data just to see the CO2 equivalent and calculating our emissions in tons. So, yeah. That's interesting. Theodora, what do you do to reduce emissions in your production? A lot of the metrics that we use are LCAs. So right now we're recording our emissions factors. So we use life cycle assessments of our closures. We're a big plastic producer. Um, we make closures that are plastic, aluminum, and steel. And so to reduce our emissions, we conduct life cycle assessments to uh, figure out how we can better uh, reduce our emissions uh, going from one cap to another. I see. I bet it's complex to conduct lifestyle assessments. What do you think the major challenges are? I would say the biggest challenges are going to be coming from getting the emissions factors. So right now we have already calculated our scopes one, two, and we just calculated three. We're currently designing an abatement roadmap. And so we actually have emissions factors per plant, so per facility right now, and we have an emissions factor for silicon closures as its own cell. So I think that as we're calculating scope three, one of our biggest challenges is that we don't want to use EPA emission factors. We want to use, you know, very granular, very, you know, detailed, very focused factors across the board. So I think it would be making sure that our vendors and our suppliers, if they can, you know, help us out with that and and kind of get on the same language and the same page, which is where SLAC can come in because if our vendors and our suppliers kind of join the sustainability journey with us, we're all going to be speaking in the same form. We're all going to be talking the same language and it's going to be really beneficial that when it comes to the reporting periods and, and all of that, that we're all going to be on the same page and the numbers are going to add up and it's going to be a lot less um, estimated, which it is right now. That does sound challenging. I think the hope is that some emerging technologies could help to reduce these challenges. Neka, how have blockchain and IoT been utilized in your sustainability initiatives and especially in monitoring and improving transparency and ethical data extraction in the supply chain? So I use this often. I use blockchain. Um, and when I, I use that, I use it in school and I teach the students how to use a blockchain and how it's transparent and exactly that process. Um, and so I think that uh, using blockchain or the Internet of Things in general, uh, I've even had a conversation of with the conference board of how can we use IoT so that we can extract data or how can we um, use IoT so that it can be a little bit more ethical when it comes to extracting data for sustainability. But blockchain, especially if, depending on your industry, but I think for an industry like or an organization like Ovation Instore to track that where, where is this uh, plastic resin coming from, where is it still coming from, the metals that we're using, um, and then where is it going? What molders, what extruders, and then when it got to Ovation Instore, and it left, what was the date and how, you know, the mileage of when it left Ovation in-store and possibly if it goes to Minnesota or something like that. We're tracking, we're tracking the emissions through that um, process. So I really think that blockchain plays a big role in uh, supply chain procurement processes, yep. Mm. Speaking of procurement, James, any other strategies you would recommend to collaborate with suppliers to ensure they also adhere to sustainability standards and goals? I think when I look at our supplier base and the suppliers that we work with, I really think of it as a partnership. And the first thing I did was sit down with some of our key suppliers that kind of made up 
a good selection of who our supplier base are. So um, different size organizations, different type of organizations, and sourcing different things from those organizations, and really sat down and just said, where are we at? How are you? What's the story of your organization? Give me some context. Well, how's your journey going? You know, what's your job look like? What's your day to day? What are your challenges? And um, having those converse, conversations has been just really huge for me. I think learning so much from the different struggles that the different organizations are having or what they feel success looks like versus other companies and what their challenges are, because it really differs um, between the different companies. And I think one of the most effective ways that we've been able to look at doing that is really embedding it into our sustainability process, into our procurement process. So looking at, you know, from the RFP stage, from the supplier selection stage, how do we integrate all of this into our supplier onboarding to really give the relevant information to suppliers at the time that they need it so that they're not having to go back and look at things and trying to embed language in the contract so it's crystal clear what the expectations are. You know, when I think when clarity is not there, that's when it becomes a lot more difficult and challenging uh, but when we bring clarity, when we bring, when we continue to have these conversations during quarterly business reviews, during any kind of meetings, I think we really help uh, our account managers, our category leads get well versed in the conversation because I think that can be challenging when um, the other stakeholders, they don't know how to have that conversation. So I think everyone working together to like get used to this sustainability topic that everyone's like, oh, another thing that we have to do. But as we integrate it more and embed it more, I think that becomes way more easier and effective for everybody involved. And do you think this push to implement sustainability will also make you more efficient? A huge part of sustainability is better efficiency. So I think from that standpoint, we see a lot of economic gains. A big strategy in the recycling and, and using less plastics topic area is lightweighting. So using less plastic materials, using less virgin plastic or using less virgin fiber uh, materials in corrugate packaging and things like that. So I think lightweighting is a great strategy that everyone's looking at. I think we also see that another economic benefit is that there are regulations coming like EPR where companies are going to be now taxed and liable for producing more virgin plastics and different unsustainable practices. So I think from that standpoint, it's going to be an added cost that we have to look towards reducing. It feels maybe a little bit less of an economic benefit, but it will be in the future. And different regulations are coming out where it's just going to be more and more difficult and more expensive if we wait till later to start implementing sustainable practices. It's better to start now so that you're not trying to catch up later. Yeah. So the big message I'm hearing is if you haven't started your sustainability journey yet, get started now. If you've already started, it's time to double down on your sustainability. Theodora, what trends are you seeing right now in the sustainable arena that could impact the future? I think that some of the biggest trends that I'm seeing today are going to be solar and wind farms. I think that a lot of companies are going to incorporate finding new ways to reduce their energy uh, usage, and I think they're going to go toward that. I know we have. We signed up with uh, the PPAs, and um, I think it's going to be a huge trend in the, in the industry as a whole. I think it's going to be really, really great. And then I think uh, from our perspective as Silgan, um, another trend that, that we can see in the future is going to be chemical recycling. So we are looking to get ISCC certified, again, because we use a lot of plastic and a lot of resins in our um, supply chain as a whole. Um, we're looking at chemical recycling and the benefits that it's going to be to be a part of that. 
Interesting. Neka, are there any successful case studies or examples where sustainability efforts significantly improved supply chain efficiency or reduced environmental impact? So we have solar panels at Elevation in-store and we have about the biggest installation in Queens. Um, our facility is about 80,000 square feet. And so we use about 100% of solar energy to power our manufacturing facility, which I think is amazing. But I've also seen the reduction in cost. And so we're saving a lot with our solar, um, which has increased our EcoVadis score. So we're closer to 75 than we were. So our score has increased and also monitoring our fleet. So our drivers, um, just understanding where they're going every day, possibly adding more. Um, stops to their day instead of like spreading it out during the week if they're on one area so if they're in like a 10 mile radius I'm going in I'm looking at Excel sheets and I'm working with the logistics manager just to have conversations of like let's do 10 stops instead of do doing five stops today if they're on Manhattan right if they're all in Brooklyn let's do all the stops in one day and we've seen that that has decreased our emissions significantly when it comes to our fleet that's great my last question is for James What advice would you give to an organization at the beginning of their supply chain sustainability journey? I think there's also a real need to set goals, set ambitious goals. I think companies are scared to set ambitious goals because they're afraid that they might not meet it. And what we saw with the climate crisis was that all companies or many companies were willing to make goals that they didn't know how they were going to meet. And I think that's been a real game changer for how we're going to achieve our climate goals for 2050, for companies to become net zero by 2050. No company really understood how they were going to get there. And a lot of companies didn't even calculate their emissions when they set those goals. And everyone's working on, after that, calculating their emissions and figuring out what plans are we going to put in place to actually meet those goals. And we're working towards it. And I think that it can be a scary place to set goals and set targets and make them public and, you know, even share them with your customers. But that shows a real interest and desire to really um, participate in this work. And so that would be my advice to companies out there who are trying to understand how they're going to get into this work, how they're going to start implementing sustainability into their their company strategies, um, is start setting ambitious targets. Really look at how they can make move the needle in their organizations. That was great advice and a great discussion on this important topic. Thank you to the audience for listening to this MHI cast. And thank you, James, Neka, and Theodora for joining us to speak about sustainability in their supply chains. At MHI, we never stop exploring new opportunities to help you take your manufacturing and supply chain operations to the next level of success. Thanks for making us part of your professional development journey.